Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm your host, Jordan Jones. It's another Tuesday, and we're already almost halfway through the month of July. Time has just been flying by this summer. Uh, It's been a slow few weeks of news, and that all changed this past week. Uh, Lots of news related to Purdue sports and the wide world of college athletics. Uh, So let's just get right into it. As I'm sure all of you guys have heard, uh, last week the Big Ten announced a conference-only schedule for fall sports, um, canceling all non-conference action. Most notably, this affects football as well as volleyball, soccer, cross-country. In a quote from the Big Ten's press release, It said, quote, by limiting competition to other Big Ten institutions, the conference will have the greatest flexibility to adjust its own operations throughout the season and make quick decisions. Uh, That was per the Big Ten release on Thursday when the news was broken by Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic that uh, the Big Ten would be going to a conference-only season. Um what does this mean for Purdue? Uh, they lose out on home games with Memphis and Air Force, as well as an away matchup at Boston College. Uh, GoldenBlack.com's Brian Newbert reported on Twitter that Purdue was set to pay $800,000 to Air Force, $750,000 to Memphis, and they were also scheduled to receive $250,000 from Boston College essentially receiving the money back that Purdue paid Boston College for their 2018 game in Rossade Stadium, a game Purdue won 30-13. These contracts should be invalidated due to the pandemic. Think about every legal expert I have seen on different articles and on social media has seemed to think that you know all of these game contracts will be null and void uh, due to the pandemic. This affects everyone in the Big Ten, obviously. Uh, Some other big games over in the state of Iowa, the annual Cy-Hawk game between Iowa and Iowa State. Uh, Week one had scheduled uh, Michigan at Washington, a really big game out in Seattle. Would have been a cool cool game. Uh, Week two would have seen Ohio State at Oregon. Uh, We'd also see Penn State at Virginia Tech. And the Wisconsin-Notre Dame game that was scheduled to be played at Lambeau Field. All of these are off now. Um, You know, it's going to be just Big Ten Conference games. So, you know, just breaking it down a little bit more. From what I've gathered, this is all about attempting to create a single standard of coronavirus testing and reporting the positive cases. Um That's the only thing that that makes sense to me. I get that. Now, there are plenty of logistical questions to this. You know, is it safer for Iowa to drive a couple hours across the state to play Iowa State in Ames? Or is it safer for, you know, Iowa to fly all the way out to State College, Pennsylvania to to play Penn State? Um you know, I get the Big Ten's intent here. The testing is important. I think it is a very deep level of distrust the conference has had with each other to, um, 
you know, to report the cases in a uniform manner and to do the right thing. Uh, I do think, you know, this shines some light as to why college football could use a commissioner and have a national, uh, almost national college football office. Because, you know, when the NCAA leaves this to the conferences, we're in this spot we're in right now where, um, you know, all these conferences are doing their own thing, doing their own testing, coming up with their own testing standards to go by. I don't know that I think that's necessarily, you know, the right thing. I, I don't have a huge problem with it, but let's face it, since the implementation of the Bull Coalition back in the mid-1990s, college football's been a national sport. We've seen realignment. We've seen conferences, you know, expand. Teams jump across. Look, this these conferences are important, but at the end of the day, this is a national sport. Um, you know, Alabama and Clemson have become bigger rivals than Alabama and Missouri, despite being in the same conference. I mean, you see this all the time. This is a national sport, and for you know, the season to come down to the conferences and their decision on it. I think it's time that, you know, college football gets real and makes this the industry that it is. It's a massive, massive industry. And the NCAA is all about it until it's time to make decisions and they punt it to the conferences. It's time to have a national college football office with a decision maker who can help, you know, standardize this testing and standardize uh, how you report, you know, positive tests. Because, you know, I do think there is a path to play non-conference here if, you know, all the conferences are on the same page. Obviously, that's not going to happen. From what, you know, from what was reported, this Big Ten announcement on Thursday kind of blindsided the leaders from other conferences. Uh, the Pac-12 has now followed suit. They will be playing conference-only games, and it sounds like the ACC is going to as well. That leaves the SEC and the Big 12 and the Power 5 as the two conferences who have not made a decision on uh, whether to go conference-only or not. Obviously, a lot of the attention there will be on the SEC and Commissioner Greg Sankey. Uh, he is not made any decision yet he brought up in a news conference yesterday that he thought that late July would be the right time to make an announcement there but you know one thing I heard regarding the move by the Big Ten to announce this first was from uh, Brad Powers a Vegas college football gambling expert on the Bill King show he brought up you know communication is so easy in this these times we're in now, yet it's not even used. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's a little bit disheartening to see, you know, the sport I love and have the leaders of it not even, you know, working together. Um, it It's tough. I, I don't, I don't like seeing this, but, you know, obviously it's an unprecedented year. Uh, college football isn't going to look the same. There's been some discussion of going to spring football. The Ivy League has done that. 
I don't see that happening with, uh, you know, the FBS power five schools. I don't see that at all. There's too many logistical nightmares for moving the season to spring, you know, up in our land here in the big 10, uh, are you going to be outside in Michigan stadium in February? I don't think so. Are you going to be outside in Minneapolis, Minnesota in January getting ready for the season? No way. So I just don't know that I see that happening. I think it really is. It's the fall or it's nothing. And, you know, now we're looking at a fall only season with conference only games. We'll see what that looks like. Going in to a little bit more of the impact this has on Purdue, uh, I've been very critical of the way Purdue schedules their non-conference. This year was a prime example of that by playing three games, which were all going to be difficult games for Purdue. I will always maintain there is no benefit to that. Not playing Memphis particularly, though, is a blessing in disguise. Um you know, Memphis was going to come into Ross Aid and put up a lot of points. Purdue was going to have to play really well on offense to outscore them. I don't know. It could have happened. I could also have seen Memphis coming in there and winning by two touchdowns. And, you know, Purdue's not in a position right now where it can afford these losses. I, I was talking to a listener on Twitter who, you know, brought, brought up that, you know, not playing these non-conference games was a good thing. And, you know, my point is Purdue is coming off a four and eight season where they lost some momentum. They had a lot of good momentum coming in after Brahms first two years with two bowl appearances, you know, some big wins in there. They lose to Nevada. They get blown out by TCU and they struggle in the big 10. This isn't good for the program's image. You know, Yes, Memphis is a really good team, but if Purdue loses to a group of five team, the message is not that Purdue lost to maybe the best team or you know one of the top three teams in the group of five. The message is Purdue lost to a group of five school. So not playing Memphis is great. I do you know want to point out that I think it's really good that none of these opponents Purdue had scheduled rely heavily on uh, buy game money for their athletic departments. Uh, you know, with Memphis, great basketball program. Uh, Penny Hardaway has brought a lot of positive attention back to Tiger basketball and filling up FedEx Forum, uh, especially last year with an unbelievable recruiting class in there. Um, Air Force is in a league of its own being a fully nationally funded university, um, you know, that's, that's a lot different than any of these other ones in Boston college being another power five school. Um, you know, all of this is good to see that these athletic departments Purdue was going to be playing aren't going to be in shambles because of this. I know one of the really, the biggest effect of, canceling the non-conference schedule, in my opinion, is all of these smaller athletic departments that rely on buy-game money to keep their athletic department afloat. I know the number was, I believe for Bowling Green, they're out $2.2 million 
from their buy games being canceled. I really, really hope there is a way that um, some of that money can get to these uh, smaller group of five schools from the MAC or the Sun Belt or the Conference USA, whatever conference it may be. Because, you know, this is part of what makes college football college football. Um, you know, college football, yes, you know, the Saturday, 3.30, 8 o'clock time slots, they drive college football. But college football isn't the same without Tuesday night action in November. College football isn't the same without a Wednesday night Sunbelt game in November. Um, you know, these bye games, they're, they're not the same. Um you know, they're not the same as conference games. There's a different energy to them, but it's still college football. And you're still allowing these players a chance to compete on the biggest stage in sports. I really hope that there's a way that these schools can be all right, because that's a lot of money. These schools don't, you know, even if the Mac goes to a conference only schedule, these schools don't make a tremendous amount of money off of you know what off of gate fees and tickets and concessions and merchandise that's not where these schools make money the way that power 5 programs make money these schools rely on buy game money and tv money and you know i uh, losing that buy game money is just a tremendous loss and that's going to have a huge ripple effect in the other sports i know having grown up a baseball player you know, I see it now with all of these smaller Division One schools. No one makes money off baseball unless you are an elite school in the SEC or ACC. No one up north makes money off baseball. So how many kids who play baseball and would be having the opportunity to play at a small D1 school, you know, aren't going to have the opportunity to play at that school anymore because of, you know, the loss of buy game revenue from the football team or even the basketball team if we get there so it's it's really unfortunate I don't like seeing this I am hopeful that there is a way these smaller athletic departments can survive we will see um and another thing with Purdue is you know this is still a young football team Purdue is incredibly young on both sides of the ball so you know the more games this team would be able to play the better um I don't think this year is necessarily the year Purdue would have its eyes on having a you know real breakout eight nine win season but I think you know the next year or two 21 22 one of those years you know, Purdue's going to have some more experience and might be more reasonable to push for that in terms of expectations. So, you know, the more this team can play, the better. I think you want to get as many snaps for Jack Plummer, as many carries for King Doru and Tyreek Murphy uh, for a, a young defense, as many, as many reps as you can get. So, obviously, you lose out some here with uh, just losing out on games to help build for the future. In terms of the schedule, you know, the Big Ten hasn't announced anything yet. I don't know really what it's going to look like. I do feel that division games probably should have to be the top priority. 
That would be six games right there for the Big Ten East and Big Ten West to play within each other. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I am hopeful that we get this entire season in in terms of the non, excuse me, the nine Big Ten games that are already scheduled. But you know, I have heard rumblings that the division games are going to be played first. That way, at least you know you can get those six in. Hopefully and then have a Big Ten championship game for the two winners. Um, you know, you can you can do that in Indy. You can test all the players before. You can do it wherever. I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't know that I think the college football playoff is unreasonable. Um, I think you can probably look at how the NBA is doing things right now with a bubble. Same with the NHL. Um Maybe you can do that for a college football playoff for the top four teams. You know, I don't really know. I'm just thinking out loud here. But, um, you know, and I hope, I really do hope that, you know, we can go beyond division games. I don't want to see a year without the old Oak and Bucket game. That just wouldn't feel right. Uh, I don't want to see, you know, all these games not happen. I'd love to see Purdue go up to the big house. I'd love to see Rutgers come into town because I think that's Purdue's um, probably easiest win of the season at this point. So um, I really, again, hope we get all these nine games in, but I expect that when the Big Ten moves forward with a new schedule announcement, your first six games on the schedule are going to be those Big Ten West matchups. And then you would probably see the three crossover games with the Big Ten East wrapping up with Indiana last. So in terms of the postseason, I don't see smaller bowl games being played at all. I do think you could maybe see the New Year's Six bowl games all be played. And I also think there's a chance that it would just be a playoff. Um I don't really know what to expect there. I think it's way too early to really speculate on that. But, you know, I don't expect seeing, um, you know, the Gasparilla Bowl or the new uh, the Mayo Bowl uh, down in Charlotte. I don't think those games are going to be played. So, um, you know, we're going to see. Obviously, there's still a lot to take place. We are, you know, over over a month and a half away from when the start of the season would be. So we'll keep you updated every week here on the show. But, you know, we'll get into some other Purdue news from the week. Um, If you are on social media at all and follow Purdue Athletics on social media, you obviously saw the new video board in the south end zone of Ross-Aid Stadium is complete. Uh, Major, major credit to Athletic Director Mike Bobinski for getting this done. This has been a long time coming. Um, you know, I remember back in the early 2010s seeing all sorts of renderings of what the south end zone could look like, and then nothing really comes of it. Uh, in 2013, we saw the stands that were once in the south end zone get ripped out, get replaced with the outdoor beer garden area, and... Uh, you know, it just sat there for what, six, seven years and just always felt a little bit awkward. Um, you know, just felt like something should be there. Now, uh, we have the bigger video board that'll take up pretty much the entire South end zone. The beer garden will still be there beneath it. I believe, 
Um, but at least that video board will make it feel a little bit more closed off down in the south end zone rather than having an immense view of carry quad. Um, I think everyone would rather look at the video board. So, you know, the improvement Bobinski has made with Ross Aid since he took over in 2017 has been very, very impressive. Uh, we have lights now. Purdue never had lights up until then, which is just unbelievable in my opinion. Um, obviously, the new video board, as well as the north end zone ribbon board, um, you know, the old little uh, scoreboard they had in the north end zone with the Nike logo on it looked like it came out of the 1990s. Um, you know, Rossade feels like a 21st century stadium now. It's nice to be able to say that. Uh, hopefully, we're all able to see that from inside Rossade Stadium this fall. In other news for football, uh, a couple of football commitment dates have been announced for recruits. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., uh, 2022 quarterback target Brady Allen of Gibson Southern High School in Southern Indiana will announce his commitment. He's a three- or four-star quarterback, depending on which service you use, uh, ranked as a pro-style quarterback. The 24-7 sports crystal ball is 100% on him committing to Purdue. If you're listening to this uh, Wednesday afternoon or later, you will know the outcome to this, but recording this a day early, uh, Steve Wiltfong, the 24-7 lead expert, has submitted Purdue as his prediction for the crystal ball. Um, so we're going to more or less assume he's going to pick Purdue. Uh, I watched some of his film. I, I like this guy a lot. Really strong passer. He's got a 6'5 frame, throws the ball really well. Uh, deep ball is impressive. He's got good accuracy on his deep ball. Doesn't try to overthrow it too much. He's surprisingly accurate when he rolls out of the pocket, and that's not something you see a ton with a quarterback during their sophomore season of high school. Uh, you don't see a lot of his highlights with him running the ball, but at the same time, you know, he still has two years left of high school. I expect for him to, you know, get faster, get more agile, quicker on his feet. Um, for him to commit this early, you definitely see how much Purdue wants him. Um, he's a high priority. Jeff Brom has made it pretty clear throughout his time at Purdue that he wants to take one quarterback every year. And we've seen it now. Plummer, Paferi, uh, Olamo, Sam Jackson in the 2021 class, and now Brady Allen, assuming he commits tomorrow. I think Allen is the best one that Brom has received a commitment from so far, assuming that Allen commits tomorrow. Um, you know, still has two years left of high school. There's a lot to be unfolded there. But, um, again, a guy I really like and think would do really, really well in Jeff Brom's quarterback-friendly offense. And then staying in, you know, in the state of Indiana and even within Tippecanoe County, 2021 linebacker Yanni Karlaftis will announce his decision on August 9th. Uh, the name should sound familiar. Younger brother of defensive end George Karlaftis. He is a 24-7 composite four-star recruit from West Lafayette High School. 
Yanni Karlaftis is down to Purdue, Wisconsin, Cal, and Oregon for his commitment. It will likely come between Purdue and Wisconsin, the two schools he has taken official visits to. Obviously, this is a big priority for the 2021 class. You have an immense talent, really close to home, uh, you know, almost literally in your backyard. So, you know, he's a guy who would probably be able to play right away in the 3-4 defense that Bob Diaco would like to run. Wisconsin's going to be tough to beat out. Wisconsin, for a defensive player, has built up plenty of reputation. For Purdue, you know, they're definitely hoping that the connection between George and his younger brother will help them out here and secure commitment. I don't really know what to expect. We're still about a month away, so we'll make sure to touch on this again uh, in early August, the week before it happens. But, you know, the biggest domino to fall in the 2021 class will be happening on August 9th. And then from around the nation, college football, yesterday, quarterback transfer JT Daniels, uh, former quarterback at Southern Cal, now at the University of Georgia, announced that he was granted immediate eligibility. He's going to have three years of eligibility left. He was hurt in the season opener last year for USC uh, when he tore his ACL. Look, I don't support the one-time transfer rule in college football. I did a podcast on that about a month ago, and I you know, have never been altogether a big fan of the one-time transfer idea. With that being said, JT Daniels getting immediate eligibility is exactly why uh, the one-time transfer rule is popular. Daniels is from California. He is going all the way across the country to play at Georgia because Keaton Slovis is a better quarterback than he is. Um, or at least Keaton Slovis has proven uh, to be better thus far. Uh, Keaton Slovis had a great freshman season last year. Daniels was not as strong when he was a freshman. Daniels is leaving because Clay Helton and Graham Harrell would rather have Slovis at quarterback than JT Daniels. So, you know, immediate eligibility is being granted because he was going to get beaten out. This is where, you know, the one-time transfer rule is probably going to be passed because there is no legitimate reason on the surface that Daniels would be leaving USC and should be able to play immediately at Georgia. He comes to Georgia because... You know, can he beat out Jamie Newman? Maybe. But behind Jamie Newman, there's very little in that Georgia quarterback room that's going to put up a lot of challenge to JT Daniels. It's a mess. On the bright side for Purdue fans, if JT Daniels is getting immediate eligibility, this should all but secure the idea that Iowa defensive back transfer uh, DJ Johnson will get immediate eligibility at Purdue. Um you know, he transferred out of Iowa due to the, uh, you know, unfortunate circumstances with insensitivity coming from Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa coaching staff. Uh, DJ Johnson transferring closer to home to be at Purdue. You would think that 
that is absolutely a case for immediate eligibility. If JT Daniels gets it, I think almost every other player in college football is going to end up getting it. Now, we'll end with a couple of basketball notes before diving into questions from the listeners. Uh, It was announced, I believe, last Thursday that the Cancun Challenge for men's basketball has been moved to Florida. Uh, The Boilermakers were a part of that field with Clemson, Mississippi State, and Illinois State. This doesn't really mean much. I don't think any of you will be too surprised to hear this. Um, During a global pandemic, leaving the country is probably not the safest idea. Uh, I hope, at least for the Purdue fans who booked their trips already to watch the team in Cancun, that the Hard Rock Hotel and Resort will refund the Purdue fans at least. Um, That'd be a bummer if they did not get their money back for the event that won't be taking place in Cancun. And... In Purdue basketball recruiting news, uh, 2021 five-star Max Christie has committed to Michigan State. Purdue was in the mix with Christie, I believe. Um, Purdue had offered. Christie had been on unofficial visits, but Christie never was able to get an official visit into Purdue. Uh, The pandemic, obviously, a big part of that. Uh, Tom Izzo did offer... Christie's younger brother as well, who is a 2023 prospect, I believe. Uh, And Christie also took a official visit to Michigan State on their senior night where Cassius Winston and the Spartans clinched a share of the Big Ten championship. You know, it's a tough loss for Purdue. Uh, I always thought it was probably a stretch to get Max Christie in West Lafayette, but You know, Purdue fans never like seeing Tom Izzo get uh, highly rated recruits. And, you know, it's happened quite a bit over the years. Um, It just happens. So that's part of the recruiting game. Purdue has one scholarship remaining in the 2021 class. You know, your top priorities are going to be the same. They haven't changed at all. Uh, You're looking at five-star wing from Texas, Harrison Ingram. Uh, You've got two in-state four-stars in South Bend Riley guard Blake Wesley and Silver Creek forward Trey Kaufman. Um, You know, those are going to be your priorities here. And, you know, I don't know when any of these timetables are for commitments. I think there's a lot of downtime right now. These guys are just starting to play AAU ball again. So we'll see. We'll keep an eye out on all these and we'll update you with any Uh, further developments in terms of basketball or football recruiting. A couple of questions from the audience, and then we'll wrap this show up. Brian chiming in on Twitter, asking what my favorite barbecue establishment in the state of Indiana is, and he wants to know the best way to make a tailgate meal healthy. He says his family plans to make a tailgating tradition but the wife refuses to let him consume burgers and bush light for six hours every weekend. Brian, to answer your first question, uh, the best barbecue in the state that I've had would be Shig's in Pit Barbecue and Brew on Maple Crest Road here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, really good barbecue, a lot of different options on the menu, 
a bar there with beer and wine full of local craft brews uh, brewed right here in the great state of Indiana, uh, including some craft seltzers as well, because I know Brian is a seltzer guy as well. And to answer his question about uh, tailgating, Brian, you're in the right here, uh, drinking bush light and eating burgers all day. That's what tailgating is all about. Um, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but there, you know, if you expect me to tell you to make a salad for a tailgate or to bring a big fruit tray, uh, you're talking to the right, you're talking to the wrong guy. Uh, that's not going to be for me. So keep doing you, Brian, and you've got support here on Boilers and Beyond. And then Sam chimes in on Twitter asking, who are your early picks for Big Ten Player of the Year? Uh, we'll talk about football for this one. Basketball is so dependent on the NBA, uh, you know, early entry to the draft decisions on who stays in and who pulls their name out. For football, on offense for, you know, offensive player of the year, obviously Justin Fields is by far the favorite. He is, you know, essentially the co-favorite to win the Heisman alongside Clemson's Trevor Lawrence. So, you know, Fields is by far the runaway favorite with that. Some other names that I would say are worth keeping an eye on would be Minnesota quarterback Tanner Morgan, Purdue wide receiver Rondale Moore, and Penn State running back Journey Brown. I think all three of those guys are really strong players. I don't see any of them winning Big Ten Player of the Year over Fields. I think Fields is just going to put up too strong of numbers and do too much to be overtaken. And then on defense, I'm going to go with Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State. Had over 100 tackles a year ago. Uh, the best returning Big Ten defensive player. Some other names to keep an eye on are staying on the Penn State defense with defensive end Shaka Tony, uh, Purdue defensive end George Karlaftis, and Ohio State defensive back Sean Wade. Uh, those three, again, all going to have really good years in my opinion, but you know, Micah Parsons is just too good to, to go against. Uh, going to be a really high pick in the NFL draft. Really strong defense in Happy Valley this year. That's all I've got for this week's show. Uh, thank you for spending your time with me today. Uh, make sure to subscribe. Boilers and Beyond is available wherever you get your podcasts. Shows on Twitter. Give us a follow at Boilers Beyond. Let me know what you thought of this week's episode. We'll be back next Tuesday for more of the biggest news and high-level analysis of Purdue athletics. Be sure to tune in. Until then, stay safe.